Hi, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. Today is episode number 157. I'm Phil from Shop Notes, joined by Logan today from Popular Woodworking. John, one of our usual cast of suspects is having some trouble with drainage. We'll leave it right there. So I hope you stick around for today's episode. We're going to talk about repairing, customizing, and modifying tools on today's episode. Uh, We're also going to discuss how Phil moves on and shop coffee tales. Uh, So you want to hang around for that. We'll get started with a couple of comments from last episode, which we talked about rescued wood and found wood projects you know, just in all of its different forms. And there were some pretty cool ones here. Uh, Somebody actually knows John and says he actually has a great reclaimed wood project. He made his his dad's shop cabinets from old shelves from our former business. The building was built around 1870. So that was pretty cool. I think John Uh, dropped the ball on that one, not saying that. Yeah, just hiding that little, little nugget of wisdom. Darren said, I made a compound angle tray from some spalted pear gathered from a tree that had blown down in my neighbor's yard. I gave the tray to the daughter who grew up there as a wedding gift with a note that read something like, as you start the next chapter of your life, this tray, tree, this tray was made from a tree that stood where you grew up. I hope it will remind you of home. Uh, she puts her keys in it, sees it every day. She's done other, this guy's done other things like that also. Uh, Yalls in Franklin County, Iowa in the mid-1960s, my dad took down the neighbor's 30-foot-tall wood silo in exchange for the lumber. I remember the wood was two-by-six tongue-and-groove red cedar Mm -hmm. with many of the salvageable boards that were the full 30-foot length. We used most of the lumber for roof and sidewall framing for a metal machine shed. There was very little quantity of nails as the silo used metal bands every two and a half to three feet up the silo to hold the boards when the silo was filled. Uh, FYI, I used to share an office with a guy who made custom motorcycle parts out of aluminum. He did have them powder coated. We were talking about powder coating and Cerakote last episode as well. Um, Many old... Woodblock makers, as in really old, older than Phil, yeah, <laughs> used European pear for its fine grain. All right. Well, that's good to know. So there's two people that said they made something out of pear. Yep. And one of our listeners, Puppy Doc, said he made a hope chest for his now ex-wife out of Western Red Cedar many years ago. Long story, but somehow I ended up with custody of the cedar chest in the divorce. No doubt there have been some hope jokes to be made from that story. I should pull it out of storage and take some pictures of it. It was actually my first woodworking project more than 30 years ago. All right. So that's like our first reference to anybody wanting to participate in the Red Cedar Challenge. Yes. Which, to me, only proves your point. I know. Well, I will say, so I watched a, you know, I I was out of town this last um, several days um, and I got home. It was kind of binging on some um, woodworking YouTubers that I had missed videos on. Um, just kind of relaxing in the air conditioning, which was good. It was awesome. <laughs> With no mosquitoes. And 
Uh, Richard Raffin had, and I've, I've talked about Richard recently uh, on the podcast about how he's been doing a lot of videos. He had, he didn't call it Red Cedar. He called it Juniper because he's a smart man. Uh, right. He had a Juniper block that he turned a bunch of spatulas out of. Oh, and really? He did a couple of little bowls. They were gorgeous. And I'm like, okay. I literally thought about it. I'm like, wow, I would have not. Because a lot of times you see like the you know eastern red cedar or juniper turned into bowls, and it's super knotty because that's just how the trees are. But he cut around them, and it just – I'll see if I can snag a screenshot of his video for the show notes page because it's pretty it's pretty awesome. All so, right. That would be cool. You know, yeah. You know, there was a couple people that, that mentioned that they had made some stuff out of pear. And yeah. this chisel handle here – and I have a couple of handles that I've done – out of pair um and actually i don't have that plane sitting next to me i have a uh, i have an infill that i made that also has a pair infill in it this is one of my favorite woods and i just cannot get it i mean you, you can't right. you know it's not a commercial wood so i kind of have to find somebody that's taking a pear tree down and pear trees aren't super common in iowa no um but my word this has been one of my favorite woods ever um, it turns absolutely beautifully. It It's fine, very, very fine grain. Um, I could see why it would take detail well, like if you're doing yeah. blocks out of it. So just. I mean, pear and apple are somewhat related yes. botanically, right? I mean, but beyond I, the fact that they're trees. Yeah. And fruit yeah, which, bearing. Yeah, this, this happens to be apple. Yeah. That happens to be pear. So. You know, yeah, very, very, and similar. I, I like Apple just the few times that I've used it because I think you were talking about sawing it on your bandsaw mill and it being harder than snot. But then when you start working with it, like with hand tools or even like chisels and files, like it just shapes beautifully. It's, mm -hmm. it's kind of weird for how hard it is. You would expect it to be just as cantankerous when you're starting to use it, but. You know, like it planes really nicely and well, and like you said, yeah. with turning that it, it's a delight oh, there. Yeah. Oh God, it's wonderful. Yeah. It just, I've done, I've done a bunch of handles out of both apple and pear. Um, my pear I've been pretty conservative with. Um, actually, yeah. I, had a, I had a piece on my bench that I was going to have um, my buddy Rusty that made me the, this ebony spoke shape that we talked about a couple weeks ago. I was going to have him make it out of a piece of pear. Um, because this pear tree came out of my grandpa's backyard. Um, I took it oh, down cool. for him. Yeah, I took it down for him probably eight years ago. Um, it, it was hollow. It had a lot of ants in it. Um, and that was actually the reason I didn't have him make the spoke shave out of it was because I couldn't get a good section that didn't have ant holes in it. Um, I have oh, a couple. Yeah. I have a couple. And mo most pear I have seen is very white. It's very pale. It's 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 a... It's just, it's a, it's a pretty plain looking wood, honestly. Right. Um, but this log that I got out of my grandpa's place, uh, it had, it had a lot of color. And I don't know if that color came from the heartwood. Um, I honestly, at that point, I didn't pay much attention to it. It was just cut it into parts. Right. Um, and I don't know if it came out of the heartwood. I don't know if it was mineral stains from the bugs or, you know, maybe insect in 
you know, infiltration that, that caused some of these different purple hues or brown hues into it. I don't know. I just yeah. know that it is gorgeous stuff. And I would, I want to sell my firstborn, but Henry, I would definitely sell. <laughs> He'd at least take offers. Uh, yeah. I'd take offers. <laughs> so. And since John's not here, I'm going to have to make the comment that I've worked with some people that were ant holes. So, <laughs> yes. So, yeah. No, and I think I've always shied away a little bit. From, well, I had gotten some Apple from another coworker, Randy Maxey, when he was here. And, but other times, the only time, the only other instances that where I've seen people using pear was like Krenoff pieces where he had some like Swiss pear something, blah, 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 yeah. and made one of his tiny little cabinets on stands or whatever. And mm -hmm. it just felt like a very hoity toity kind of wood. But well, I think Swiss pear is actually one that you can get. So the two commercial fruit woods or the two woods you can get fruit woods, you can get commercially are Swiss pear so you can okay. get Swiss pear and you can get German apple, which sounds like a fantastic pie, but, right. yeah. um, but it's German apple. And I don't know what the, you know, botanically, I don't know what the difference between the two are, uh, or let me rephrase that botanically. I don't know the difference between like the apple we get here and German apple or like a fruit pear and a Swiss pear tree. I don't know. Right. Um, I, I know that, uh, I have a, a, a friend, um, Russ here in town that is, uh, he ran a tree farm for a long time. One of the most intelligent guys I have ever met. Um, he, he's told me that a lot of the apple trees in the States have been bred down, uh, genetically bred down into a dwarf version of the tree for picking. So right. I don't know if like the German apple is botanically kind of the same tree but it hasn't been bred smaller so it grows larger grows straighter i don't know for sure hmm, could be yeah um that's just my speculation i mean because i've seen photography of places like in central asia where apples came from where the trees are like 100 feet tall or more mm -hmm. yeah which would be crazy to see yeah and a totally different experience to pick yeah <laughs> yes you need a, you need a true, like, <laughs> they call it a cherry picker, but you know, you need a right. apple picker. Yeah. Pick them. Apple picker. Yeah. Yep. You can't just use the like laundry soap bucket that you do the little cutout teeth on it on a pole and just kind of. No. So a, a quick, quick Google search has told me that, um, the apple, the European apple is what they're calling it. European apple. Okay. Um, you can buy in flitches ranging length range from 24 inches to eight foot average width around 11 and a half inches. So they're not much larger than our apple trees here. They just, okay. Like they maybe are a little straighter. All right. Um, Cause I, I, in Iowa, at least you don't get a straight apple log. They're, they're very twisty, turvy, twisting curvy. all over the place. Yeah. 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 Well, cause they're so. forking, you know, like 18 inches off the ground, you know, so you don't, right, there's yeah. not much of a single trunk, you know? Yep. Yep. So I don't know. I blame the saw makers of the early 
19th century, 20th century <laughs> for raiding all of our trees for applesaw handles. There you go. Henry Diston, we're looking at you. Yes, we are. Now, just before we started the podcast, I was reaching over to grab my water cup, which usually just sits off frame just right here, and was about to take a drink when I very presciently looked inside the cup and realized that maybe a week or more ago, I had made some iced coffee in there and never really finished it. So it was, it had gone funky. There was mm -hmm. a, there was a definite teeming of life on the inside. So I'd like to know if anybody else has had that experience, especially working in your shop mm -hmm. where you might take a cup of coffee out to the shop, set it down. Who knows when you come back to it and what kind of, uh, what kind of things have you discovered or little fun stories to go with it? Maybe you took a pull off of it before <laughs> you discovered that. I want to hear about took that a, too. Yeah. Took a drag of your cultured coffee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so, the new thing. Fermenting is all around us. So yeah. Yeah. See, I, so I don't, did you, you must've put some form of sugar or you do honey a lot in your coffee. Yeah. Usually it, probably honey at that point that I had swirled in there and, yeah. See, I do straight black coffee usually, and I have been known to have several half a dozen coffee cups, several or a, up to a half a dozen, not several half dozens uh, coffee cups <laughs> in my truck because I get home from the office. You know, I I have tools I'm carrying inside and I just don't ever go back out for the coffee cups. So occasionally right. I'll go out and I'll be like, oh, I should probably like I run, a run out of coffee cups it in the house. So it's like, oh, I got to go to the to the coffee cup store and open my truck and bring in an armful. <laughs> run the sanitized cycle on the mm -hmm. dishwasher. Yep. There's never anything growing in them, though. Like, I think the really? black coffee. No, the, like the straight black coffee doesn't seem to grow yeah, yeah. anything. Okay. So I if I'm sure if I put like if I put cream in there or maybe some sugar, something mm -hmm. for something to grow on, yeah. then I might have an issue. I'm still it's still kind of funny to me that even nothing would grow just straight in the coffee. Because nah. I mean, right behind me over here, we have our yeah. coffee maker, and if we leave that, you know, over an extended period of time, we'll yeah, yeah. pull that open and there's you know some, some fuzz there's some growth on the grounds in there. So yeah, but yeah, no, I've, I've had that issue. I will say I have, what, what, where was I last? I I was somewhere last doing photography and I had a coffee cup that was just getting full of shavings and I don't remember what it was. Um, but it's like, you know, it's okay. I'm yeah. gonna drink it. Like it's different if the lung goes if the it's different if the dust goes in your lungs versus going into your stomach. Right. It's a little yeah. little extra fiber. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. like you brew beer and people put, you know, like little oak cubes in there for extra yeah. tannins and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. it's practically the same. Yeah. You know, interesting. So kind of, you know, tied into both the coffee and the ingesting wood thing. I was at the, the pet store the other day. Um, as you know, I have two puppies now um, getting dog food and they are in the chewing stage. They've been in the office as we've, as we have been filming. They like to mm -hmm. grab chunks of wood and just chew on them. Chew on it. That's yep. fine. 
I mean, I mean, I prefer them not to eat it, but they do. They vomit when we get home. It's all good. Life's life's great. But I'm in the pet store and I see chunks of what are labeled coffee wood, like coffee wood branches. They're okay. I don't know. They they have different sizes. They are, you know, anywhere from six inches for small dogs up to, you know, maybe a foot and a half long for big dogs. And their label, they're kind of expensive for what they are. I mean, the ones I've been buying are maybe inch and a half to two, not quite two inches in diameter, probably inch and a half to inch and three quarters in diameter, foot long. They're about 10 bucks a piece. So not what I would call cheap. I don't want to calculate out that board foot price. It might be cheaper for Ebony. (laughs) But reading the tag, it says these are offcuts from the natural... Um, pruning that they do on coffee trees. Okay. And I'm thinking, okay, that's a little odd. Not something I've ever heard of. But the fibers on them are super short, so the dogs can chew them. They can digest them um, without any issues. Um, And and it actually says it it will lead to, if your dog is a chewer of, or eater of grass, or other unspeakables in the yard, it will help alleviate that and it sure has i mean they're puppies they still like to chew everything they don't they don't mow the grass like like goats anymore yeah um but i'm like this stuff it it feels really tight grained okay the ends are like it looks like it's polished very nicely so they must cut it and then like send it in a tumbler and polish them up Oh, okay. I'm like, I could like try to make some pen blanks out of some of these. See, I was wondering how fast you went from, oh, I wonder yeah. if the dogs could use this to, I might turn some of this. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. And because it's not something I've ever, like coffee wood is not a thing. Like Kentucky coffee tree is right. a thing. But like you don't see coffee turning blanks. I'm like, hmm, this might be interesting. Yeah. So, I don't know. Just just one of those things. Like, huh. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's things that you just don't connect with being being useful for a project. You know, like Correct. I saw something where Peter Follinsby, I think, was on like the Woodwright shop and he was making spoons and he had like a piece of lilac or yep. um, rhododendron, you know, where – the leaves on the rhododendron are toxic, but the wood is fine. And so you made mm-hmm. spoons out of it. Or there was a guy at the Des Moines Woodworkers that he had brought in some pens that he had turned and he had called it rosewood. But it was actually okay. from rose bushes that yep. he had pruned. They had just gotten pretty chunky and then he was able to make pens out of it, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah. Well, and, and it's then like just, I. I... I had mentioned to you that I have a bunch of honeysuckle that is pretty big and pretty straight. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know what to do with it, but like, and you, you'd mentioned that you'd seen people do, um, honeysuckle spoons and stuff. Yeah. Okay. There you go. When I was just reading, um, there was a guy from Iowa, Dick Prenicky, who's usually on like a PBS pledge drive where they show him, in like the fifties and sixties where he would go to Alaska and then built like his own cabin and lived there off the land kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a a book about him, kind of a 
biography or whatever, if you will. And he had made like spoons and bowls out of spruce. Okay. Which was kind of novel to me because I've never really, spruce is not one of those things where you think of as being like a spoon would, but he had them, she had some photos of them and they looked really cool. So. I feel like some of those would just be sticky. Maybe. Like, I don't know. You, you, you give, you give your greatest enemy spoons made out of like poison spruce oak vines. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. But he had found like spruce burls that he would turn into bowls yeah. and stuff yep. like that. So I have, I do have, I have a white pine burl that is in my yard right now um, from where all those pine trees I cut from the tornado. And I haven't, Oh yeah. Can't bring myself to put it on the lathe because the green pine is smells fantastic. I love chainsawing it and I, I, I like cutting it on the sawmill. I really yeah. have a problem thinking about those sticky shavings hitting me in the chest. <laughs> like, <laughs> no. Maybe just wear a shirt. That's <laughs> Oh God, I've been doing this wrong. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. That would be interesting to see what that would be like. I even thought of that with the, I mean, he was, I don't think he turned anything. I don't think he had like a treadle lathe. He did all of it as, you know, kind of like mm -hmm. greenwood sculpted carving kind of thing. But even still, like that could get your tools pretty gummy also oh, yeah. after a while. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's surprising to me how much sap some of those trees can either hold or contain or drop on the top of your tarp as you are, as you are <laughs> camping in northern Minnesota, southern Canada. Because yeah, I'm like I'm sitting here looking. I, I mentioned it today when I was in, you know, camping this last week. It's like yeah. I didn't know there was so many maple trees in Voyager National Park. Which there's, I mean, there's it's a lot of pines, a lot of spruces, a lot of um, spruces, spruce eye. Spree? <laughs> Spree? Uh, Sprees? Yeah, the, a lot of um, poplars as well. Um, okay. But there's also a lot of maple trees, which I didn't I didn't know. Um, but anyways, um, just the amount of sap of these stupid trees drop. It's like folding up tarps after we're done for the week. It's like everything's sticky. Like, yeah. My kids' hands are black with sap. I mean, it's like... Like, dude, you're halfway to being Spider-Man. Just see if you climb that tree. <laughs> so was that a little bit like going back in time? Like, it was it noticeably earlier spring up there? Um, no, because it's been warm enough up there. Okay. That it was not. Um, the <laughs> mosquitoes were the worst that anybody could remember this early, which was miserable. But I mean, it was yeah. fine. Um, yeah. But no, I was I was expecting like you know maybe trees would just be starting to bud out. Nah, everything was leafed out. Everything was green. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the water water was cold. It was fifty degrees still, but they're they're granite lakes. I mean, they're lakes that are surrounded by granite. That that yeah. rocks get really cold late into the summer and really warm late into the fall. So sure, you know. But yeah. no, I 
I was keeping an eye out for like, not from Voyager's National Park because you cannot do that. But I was keeping an eye out for like somewhere I could pick up like a birch log on the way home and yeah. just throw it in the back end of the truck um, just to turn, just to turn some like white birch um, bowls or something. I didn't find any. So, oh, yeah. I didn't look that hard. I mean, I probably could have right. stopped at like firewood stand, but like that's not a good firewood, really. Yeah, but I would imagine it wouldn't really stop people either. So I, from yeah, selling yeah. it in firewood, but yeah, yep. All right. One of the things that I wanted to talk about today, uh, uh, I follow uh, Adam Savage online mm -hmm. he was on mythbusters and has a, a youtube channel called tested and he's got a bunch of stuff it's really interesting for me to watch him because he's a shop rat of a very oh, yeah. high degree and a pretty wide range of curiosity in terms of what he can do from woodworking and metalwork and electronics and all that kind of stuff which is kind of fun for me to see and also just the way his shop is because it just doesn't look like there's a bare wall in there at all. It looks like it would be hard to move around or find anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like... But whenever he's looking for something in a video, it's just like, Oh yeah, it's right here. Well, and he, yeah. And he has this, this leans more into his like shop mentality with his tool storage. Uh, he talks about the, the first order of retrievability. So it's like your items you use the most need to be the front in front of the tools you use the second most. And then those need to be in right. front of the tools you use the third most. So uh, very interesting. Very, very, very interesting. I also follow tested on YouTube. So, yeah. And he was quoted recently in an article uh, on NPR. I'll put a link in the show notes page about the right to repair. And there's a lot of, legislation and kind of activism about some of the things that we have in our contemporary life that people just either can't or aren't allowed to, in quotes, uh, fix or modify, you know, whether it's like your smartphone, you know, because like jailbreaking was a thing for a while. And uh, I mean, in Iowa, there was a big thing about it in terms of uh, farm equipment mm -hmm. here, because you know, you get a lot of the, the major farm manufacturers, farm equipment manufacturers. And uh, if you want to keep your warranty, you have to take it to, you know, a licensed, authorized, certified note from your mother dealer to get it fixed. And that hurts people who kind of have that as a side hustle and also ends up being expensive. And depending on where you live, a hassle because you're driving quite a ways in order to get something that's to get something repaired. So, and I was wondering, because I definitely feel this way. So I'd like your thoughts on it. Is that part of the reason that you have gravitated towards your affinity for older tools in the fact that they're in a sense, easier to maintain and or customize or upgrade? I think that my gravitation towards older tools, that's some of it, but more along the lines of they were just built better. Right. And they were built more simple. I mean, 
And in some instances, that might not be as good, but in some instances, it might be better. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, instead of having aluminum trunnions holding whatever in place, it's cast iron and it's just drilled and tapped into the steel. <laughs> and like, yeah, it, either it's broke or it's not. Um, yeah. So I guess that's that's where. Yeah, that's that's where my. Right. And you've said that before where, the, you know, like quality is the, the yeah. main reason and, you know, especially quality for price. Yes. You know, considering that they're older tools. But I feel like there is definitely, if you draw the Venn diagram on that, that a higher quality tool is probably going to be easier to maintain. I think so. And fix I think up. you're going to, yeah. Yeah. I think you're going to have less fiddling with stuff. Now, there right. are people, though, that like to fiddle. Sure. They, like to, they like to just tinker. And that's cool. Like there are people that really like buying Harbor Freight stuff because they like making it better. You know what right. I mean? Like oh, they'll yeah. go, they'll go buy the bandsaw from Harbor Freight. They'll rip off the tires, rip off the guides, throw Carter stuff on there, get new <laughs> American-made bearings. I'm like, bro, you could have just bought like a. I mean, you could have for what you have into it, you could have bought a high-quality saw. That's fine. <laughs> that's. Yeah. Like if, if that's your jam and you want to tinker, great. Um, yeah. but I think you're right. I think, I think the more you pay for the most part, this is, I think all, you know, in general, the, the more you pay, the less maintenance you're going to have to do. Right. So it will, once it's dialed in, it will stay dialed in. Yeah. Um, for the most part. Yeah. But I would say that I would think that a, a large portion of woodworkers, because we're interested in woodworking and creating something of our own, that that bleeds over into a desire to not just have your tools be stock. Like you're going to trick it out your tools. You're going to trick it out. And I mean, it could be something as putting stickers on your bandsaw but it could also be replacing the guides, you know, whether it's yeah. pieces of maple or ebony that you've cut to fit instead of having the dumb cool, you blocks. Know, cool blocks or whatever in there, you know, yeah. like, you know, that, yeah. Or you're going to take your coping saw and turn a new handle for it. Or, mm -hmm. you know, like I did with my chisel set that I got as a wedding gift is I, popped all the plastic handles off and turned wood handles on yep. it. And I mean, functionally they're metallurgically, they're the same chisel, but functionally they feel better to me and they work better because of yes. a nicer handle. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And I would go as far as to say that the, the people that today mark their hand planes with their name, they're doing the same thing. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like I have, I have a stamp, I have a hand plane stamp that if I have a molding plane, I'm going to smash my name into it. <laughs> um, and I mean, yeah. it was, it was an expensive stamp, but I, I like putting my name on it and it's, it then becomes part of the story. Now I don't do it for an ownership thing where I'm going and working with three other, you know, three dozen other you know, right. union workers in a building. Um, yeah. It's more of, you know, just our, my own thing, but yeah, I, yeah, 100%.
Yeah. Cause I, it was just kind of, I've talked about it before. I think just in, as a group here where I just don't really view my tools as being mine until I've done something to them to help them work along the way that I like to work. Sure. You which know, whether left -handed. it's left-handed primarily, <laughs> you know, which is why I like the bandsaw because I feel like a bandsaw is really a left-handed tool. Hey, yeah. Yeah. I can see that. So, anyway, it was just kind of a, a curiosity because I, I feel like that, that kind of mindset plays very well with most woodworkers that we are, mm -hmm. we are adapters and modifiers and creators, you know, whether you're making a Krenov style plane or, or like you said, even just stamping your name on a tool or, yeah. you know, filing the, a saw handle or plain tote to fit your hand better or eliminate a hot spot or something like that, I think is, is all part of it. Yeah. I, I find myself and anybody that does a lot of turning will, I think kind of agree with me that initially I, I was under the, I was under the mentality that you need like six turning tools. Well, the more you start doing things, the more you start modifying the turning tools to do, do exactly what you need them to do. So it's like, yeah, I might only need one three eighths inch bowl gouge. Right. But I might need three three eighths inch bowl gouges because each one has a different profile on the end. Right. Or, or I have a profile on the end that I've ground the heel away to get a tight radius, you know, that type of thing. Um, and that's, that is the main reason why my, I'm sitting here looking at my bench grinder with my CBN wheels. That's the main reason why I have one CBN wheel that's 80 grit and one that's 220. I sharpen on the 220 and I reprofile on the 80. That's oh, where yeah. I do my heavy grinding. So, right. you know, that's, yeah, absolutely. I actually just, yeah. I was, I was um, swapping emails with Richard Raffin a couple weeks ago, um, asking him about one of his scrapers that he uses. And he's like, oh, he's like, I don't know if they're making, because he had his signature line of tools. And he's like, I don't know if they're making them anymore, which they are. He's like, I don't see, I don't see the scraper available from anywhere in the States. He lives in Australia. He's like, but he's like, here, just buy one of these skews and regrind it. I'm like, <laughs> all right, sure. Done. So, yeah, bought one of his signature series skews and just reground it. I mean, just it's like, hey, let's buy a new tool and grind an inch off the end. Yeah. So, hey, it works. Yeah, that's true. And because I've, you know, I have a couple of carving tools, small palm carving tools that I got from Chris. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of them is like a little V tool or vayner or whatever you want to call it, V gouge. And those things are kind of a punk to sharpen. And you and I were talking about like the different ways that Al Breed would sharpen some of his V gouges where, you know, you have like the wings swept back or maybe you have them swept forward for different purposes and different cuts. And yeah. when I think even with your turning tools, like you've made or modified handles for several of oh, them. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to grab my prison shank to show you because I did that. <laughs> 
Yep, I don't know where it is. My Persian shank's missing. I have to go check my kid's pillow. There you go. All right, but, if we find it, we can put a photo on the yeah show notes. Well, page. it's like yeah, it's like I had a uh, a pop wood reader um, had sent me a hand a couple hand planes to restore for him, um, which is not a service I offer. I want to make that known to everybody <laughs> right now. <laughs> but I agreed to do them, uh, and. He also had sent a couple of chisels that needed new handles. And I agreed to do them. So I did them. Um, and one of the handles he had sent, or one of the chisels, they were it was a it was a bluegrass, a Belknap bluegrass. I think it's out of Tennessee was a okay. hardware. It was a it was a it was a line of um hardware store tools. Um the logo is a four-leaf clover. It's actually really cool. I have a couple of their axes um that are very nice. Um, anyways, one of them had a handle on it still, and it was a resin in a green, like resin handle, kind of similar to what you had on yours, Phil, but they were socket okay. ones. Oh, really? Yeah. And of the five chisels, four of them didn't have handles, but one did. So I yanked that one off, threw it, threw it in my bucket of parts and made him a nice set of ash handles. But then I'm like, you know what? Like, that's kind of, like, that's a fun story. You know, got this handle from a reader from doing his chisel, whatever. So I just grabbed a, I just grabbed a, I needed, when I'm doing bowls, I like to mark my depth with a drill bit. You just kind of, I, you know, line up how deep you want, drill a hole right in the center. It's hard to hold a drill bit as you're pushing it into the wood. Yeah. Um, so I just melted a drill bit into this handle and it works beautifully. Like it is the best thing ever. <laughs> it looks like a, it looks like a prison shiv, but man, it works wonders. Uh, I, right. I was really happy with it. So I might find that and get a picture up on the show notes page. All right. That sounds pretty cool. So the last thing on my agenda for today is I think I don't remember if you brought it up in the last podcast or the one before about my trials and tribulations with making a router mortising jig. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been working on that since we basically launched this podcast, I think, in <laughs> 2020. Oh. So I've decided to move that concept out into the universe and just go back to a a modified version of one of Chris Fitch's benchtop router mortising jigs. Okay. Very similar to one that we did on the show. So, but I, I am going to use one of the components from my slot mortiser jig idea for it, which I think will, it'll remind me of that that little quest, but then also serve my purposes. So I've thought of a few other modifications that I want to do to the jig just to make it a little easier or nicer to work with. So there you go. Okay. Well, I can grow. <laughs> you can let go. <laughs> I can let go. That's probably more <laughs> of what it is. Uh, yeah. I, mm -hmm. I have a couple of bowl blanks I've been looking at that I, I roughed out. Uh, two years ago, three years ago, they're good and dry now. Um, <laughs> but, 
But I'm like, you know, those are ugly. Like, the shapes are bad. Like, there may not be any salvaging them. Yeah. And I'm like, is it even worth trying? Like, to me, yeah. it's like, it's it may not even be worth it. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, maybe you just soak them in shellac and denatured <laughs> alcohol and just light, them, light them up one night at, right. at home and just. That's right. I do have a new fire pit that they could go into. See, because I was looking in our little prop closet over here and up on the top shelf is your blown up bowl, too. Remember <laughs> that one? Yeah. Well, OK. Yes. So I was kind of holding on to hope that I right. would find the missing part. Uh-huh. And it's somewhere in the shop. Still. It just has never... <laughs> well, I don't know where. Like, yeah, I, it, it was such a good like that. It was it was a pin oak root flare. So it was like the the knee of like like a cypress knee, but like a pin oak one. Like that's not a yeah. real thing. But that's what it was, and it had a really cool look like when it was wet. And I'll, I'll, I do have a picture of that. I will put that on the show notes page. It looked like marble. Oh yeah. yeah. It was gorgeous. And I'm like, Ooh, yeah, this is going to be great. Here's one more final cut to take that little ridge, just an ego thing. And that's ego got me. I'm like, I, I need to take one more cut to get a little, little, uh, ridge out of the inside. And boy, I made that cut and that bowl hit the wall um about 45 miles an hour and <laughs> i remember like it was yesterday eric loggy and chris fitch come walking out of he, they were in his cnc room which is the wall that it hit they're like hey yeah. you're right i'm like oh yeah i was like <laughs> yeah i just i'm a little mad now because i was that last cut and before it went on the shelf to dry now who knows i it may not have even dried fine it may have broken apart during drying but yeah. Yeah, that's probably one that needs just to be let go. Yeah. It's all there except for about a silver dollar size piece that's missing. Yeah. It's tough to let go of stuff like that cuz I was we had family in town last week and so I wanted to have my workshop cleaned up cuz it just still had that kind of winter abandonment to it. Yeah. Yeah. So I cleaned up and then after that I decided to clean it out. Cause when I was cleaning, I'm like, I just have a bunch of stuff here that I, you know, little tiny pieces of wood that I knew that I was going to save because I could use them for X, Y, and Z or, and then it's like, no, these are too small even for that. And you only have one of them and you're probably going to need two if you're going to make a box out of it or a divider or something. And uh, so I brought in a bunch of, you know, tools and jigs that I had that I just don't use and put them on a free table here and start the Woodsmith summer swap meet. Yeah. I saw, was that your fur box that was in the scrap wood? Yes. Tub? I saw that. I'm like, man, those are nice pieces of fur. I know. And that was I kind of the it. sucker part. Yeah. Yeah. I had started that box thinking that I could use it for whatever. And then we needed a prop for an article on cut nails and how to install those. And so I had it in there and it's, it's been in my workshop. I mean, probably a solid six years. Yeah. You know, and I just was never going to do it. So, 
If it cr- keeps Chris just a little bit warmer this upcoming winter, then then there you go. Yeah, I'm I'm sitting here looking at three props from the TV show. Um, <laughs> one of which is a laminated blank for the smartphone amplifier. Oh yeah, yeah. Yep. So I got one of those. I got one of those all glued up, um, and then I have two of the staved birdhouse bodies. <laughs> all right, and they're redwood, and that's the only reason I haven't gotten rid of them is because they're that old growth vertical grain redwood. Of course, on redwood, yeah. and I'm like, boy, I would really like to do something with those. I don't know what. Yeah, I don't know what. Maybe canisters. Maybe I'll make some like sugar canisters or something out of them or, oh, or that'd flower be cool. canisters, you know, like maybe something or maybe I'll make an actual birdhouse. I don't know. Yeah. Birdhouse and you can hang them on your new shop. That's right. Hang them on the porch on the shop. Maybe I'll do yeah. that. I do Get have some, like the finish. I have the finished one from the show something. here too. Yeah. Oh, do you? <laughs> I do. Yeah. It's, it's sitting on top of the cabinets in here. That's about right. Uh, nice. All right, I think that wraps up another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. The free ep- uh, free plan that goes with today's episode is a table saw outfeed table. And a lot of times these can run the gamut from being these gigantic, like iceberg, Titanic-sized things to little crappy purchased roller stands. And this one kind of fits in a nice, just right sized way. Attaches to the back rail, back fence rail on your table saw. Has folding legs if you should ever want to take it off of your saw. But to be honest, we don't ever take ours off. It's on the back of our table saw and it's been on the back of the table saw on the TV show set for uh, probably 10 years or more. So it's a great little tool. It's a great accessory for your table saw. We were talking about upgrading and modifying tools. This is one thing you need for your table saw. So you want to check that out. The link will be at the show notes page at uh, shopnotes.com slash podcast or on our YouTube channel, uh, Woodsmith, and you'll find the link there. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.